Ah. Weekend. Variety. Wireless. Very good evening, everybody. Welcome along to the Weekend Variety Wireless, the Sunday edition. A special salute to Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy, RFK, the lesser-loved tragedy uh, between himself and JFK, because you've got JFK and the grassy knoll and the bloody film and everything. But Robert Kennedy, I reckon, probably... No. He was a greater loss as he was running in 1968, 50 years ago. Uh, for the presidency of the United States of America. Uh, we have American historian Jennifer Frost to discuss this later this hour. I grabbed the senator as he fell so he wouldn't go down on his face and he was in my arms all the way down. We were telling him, don't speak, you know, don't say anything. And he said, the first thing that he said was, is everybody else all right? And that's something I will never forget. So, this evening, John Dibbig's Letter from America at the usual time, around about the 9.30 mark. I threw on a mega hat for him before he arrived, and hopefully this will be up on Facebook either tonight or tomorrow or something. You might need to explain to the listeners what a mega hat is, Graham. Make America Great Again, a Trump hat. Someone gave me one for fun. Um, <laughs> it's as it's, it's good as a Halloween costume now. Um, do, you wear, and do you wear it to the shops? I don't wear it to the shops. I... Wore it to work once just to see what would happen, which is quite funny. Uh, this is a little bit of uh, what happened with John Dibbig. What are you doing, man? What do you reckon? You like the hat? Oh, f fucking hey, come on! <laughs> your hat. Where'd you get that hat? It's a present from a friend. <laughs> but you wouldn't wear it for me? Fuck no. Nothing to do with that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> And also, a sound. I want to play you a sound. Uh, we'll be disappearing from the suburbs of central Auckland very shortly. And it's... Speedway in the early evening. Speedway's moving from Western Springs. This is a, an Auckland thing. I know the Speedway and other places in the country. Big one, really, is it has been at Western Springs for a long time. And the wind would carry it to where I could hear it. And you could tell as they went around... You could imagine yeah. they went around the circuit. It gets louder and softer, like a, a flock of bees coming towards the you in a way. Yeah. This is the actual speedway. Yeah. From my backyard. So it goes away. There might be a thrush in the background of the neighbours getting a barbie together. Right. Here they come. It drove a lot of people mental, but I really liked it. Yeah, I had a friend who lived nearby. It's actually quite deafening if you live right next to it. I imagine but it would be. I don't live know. near it at all. It still sounds but like that. At the that. same time, I would love to live next to it. Yeah. Yeah, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Cassily. Media stick. In its entirety and dedicated section after the commercial break. So welcome along to the Weekend Variety Wars for June the 10th, 2018. Telling you the date, just in case you've woken up from a five-year coma.
And by the way, if you have, uh, Germany beat Brazil in a semi-final of the World Cup 7-1. Anthony Bourdain is dead. Iggy Pop is alive. And Donald Trump is the president of America. Sorry, I really shouldn't kid with people, should I, that have just woken up from a coma. The Weekend Variety Wireless. I have a lot of fight left in me. I'm not breaking down. The New Zealand Herald published a smear by TV blogger Paul Casserly. The blogger is obviously emotionally disturbed. We will never feel safe again. Hello, Paul. Well, a hi, bit hi. more than a nod would be good for radio. Hi, hi. Hi. Uh, I forgot to mention between 10 and 11 this evening, Don McGlashan, in up close and personal, ahead of his uh, tour coming up throughout the country. still alive. Country. He's still alive. Oh, Don McGlashan is still alive. <laughs> Where's he touring? Like, everywhere. Everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. It sounds like an artistic sort of, he's going to play the hall with his sticks with a friend. <laughs> um, but, no, he's a music bloody legend. We've he, known each other for a long time. He's a legend. Uh, <coughs> I think I first met him maybe in 1981 and I reminded him of it. I remember seeing the Blams on many occasions and oh God, sort of one of many misdemeanors. I think that one of the first times I saw you, I spilt a whole big thing of beer. What are they called? Jugs. The I jugs. Think, yes. It was a jug. I think jugs. I spilt the whole thing all over you. Do you recall that? I'm not surprised. Oh, no. okay. Yeah. Um, it's the kind of thing you'd do. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't recall it, though. No. Well, a lot of those sort of things happened. Can you can you recall the, oh, the look of disappointment on his face? Jesus, can, can I what? Well, who was this piece of shit? I'm actually, my memory's a bit confused. It was either him or Dick Driver. Uh, but one of them got a whole jug of beer. Well, it was a mistake. But it's not like a good <coughs> introduction, is it? Hi, really like your music. My name's Gabfo. Oh, drunk. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, now, regarding Don McGlashan, uh, there was a, a competition that was instigated. Uh, I think it was a lovely idea. I don't know whose idea it was. It was somebody at a college radio station in New Zealand called BFM. And as we want to do, you pick something that is really beautiful and precious and you don't mind kind of wrecking it a bit for fun. Uh, Don McGlashan and the Muttonbird's beautiful song, um, A Thing Well Made, has this refrain, this refrain, ba pa 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 oh, yes. Ba. French horn. And that last note. We thought, if you felt a fart coming on, think, you tell people, I've got one coming, because we were very open amongst each other at the radio station at the time. Men and women, just the same. Farts were inclusive. You have to sing through that entire refrain and hold on to your business until the last note. And if you could make that last note bang on, you'd win $100. Uh, It took more than a decade for it to be achieved. And I'm mentioning this because I am the person who managed to fart the last note um, Are you telling me this is a real fart? This is a real... F- I'm, I haven't got it recorded, but I've done a reenactment. Okay. I have affidavits. It happened at the bottom of St Michael's Tower in Oxford in 2015 uh, in the presence of Leslie Jonkers and Jane Dodd, and they can both verify that it was the correct note. It sounded something like this. For some collector Thank you.
So, perhaps I've ruined that tune for you forever, but that's what happened. That's some pretty obscure shit for people who don't know that music. They're thinking, what is going on there? There you go. It's a lovely song, that. It is a beautiful that's song. some connection with Aramawana? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. A, a guy loving a gun. A thing well made. Yeah. The, what Don does really well is find a backstory yeah. to whatever he sees, fill in the gaps in between, and it's lovely. Okay. Anthony Bourdain. Sad. Very sad. That's, it seems to hit a lot of people very, very hard, the, the, the death and apparent suicide of Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Um, much beloved... Uh, Food writer. Is there another show where we'd go from a fart to a suicide? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we've sure. done it. Why not? It's the yeah. circle of life. Exactly, it is. Um, and he had a, a very good show that was on, been running on CNN for the last five years or so. Um, Parts unknown. All, all these yeah, different no reservations. Shows, no reservations. He, what a decent man! I thought he's a decent man. A storyteller. Actually, the stories of him being a decent man have been coming out. Um, since his death, and one of them was about this. There's a woman called um, an old lady who wrote a review of a restaurant called the Olive Garden, which is a bit, bit kind of like the Cobb and Co of America, like just a you know a bog standard, not not sort of you know not a very fated kind of a restaurant that you wouldn't imagine writing a rave review about. But she wrote this rave review about it back in 2012, got hammered on uh, you know social media as kind of a laughing stock nationally became you know the story went viral and he was he was one of the few people who came out and actually said i'm i'm i think she's great she's just writing a, a heartfelt review for a restaurant in a shitty part of america but actually this is where most people eat and actually he he, he kind of turned the Bless. tide yeah not a snobbish cell no. in his body and that's yeah that's 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 the, he's he's a great communicator great storyteller has a great way of tying in some politics and it's still a, they're still food shows, but you know of 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 the sort that um, that you know he he did maybe he changed it I don't know but he's just very good on it and seemed to be a good bugger. Something uh, towards what you were saying is this thing with the Waffle House, which that's is right. just the so bog standard. That's right, the Waffle House, which is in in the south. It's 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 basically a, a real kind of it's a diner, it's a franchise that everywhere you go you can get grits and it's an alcohol and, soaker at yeah, three a.m. That's right. It's it's kind of the white lady. Of, of the South in America, and this is his love letter to it. It is indeed marvelous. An irony-free zone where everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. Where everybody, regardless of race, creed, color, or degree of inebriation, is welcomed. Its warm yellow glow, a beacon of hope and salvation, inviting the hungry, the lost, the seriously hammered, all across the South to come inside. A place of safety, and nourishment. It never closes. It is always, always faithful, always there for you. I just recalled now a particular episode that he did in Mozambique uh, where I think it was really, really brave editing, and that is to keep it in rather than edit it out. Uh, they were eating all this beautiful food in Mozambique, and there were actually hungry kids hanging around, like frickin' seagulls. Yeah. And he didn't, he felt really uncomfortable about this. And so they put on a bit of a spread. Within about 10 minutes, there were gangs taking control of it, trying to hand it out and get money for what they had. Mm. And he yeah. realised, uh, you try and do something good and you can make big mistakes because you don't know what's going on. Yeah, you don't, yeah. It's yeah. more complicated than, yeah. oh, here you go. 
Yeah. yeah. So no, really decent guy. I'm yeah, much much loved, and he's you know that you know classic thing. The sort of guys seem to have it all, but mm. obviously there's a lot going on beneath the surface, as there often is with with all sorts of people. Yeah. Um. So yeah, sadly, miss. He was making new series too, which I'm I'm, I'm gutted about. Always very difficult to record them off CNN, of course, because the times, you know, you can't do the series link and stuff on the MySky effectively. And the, and the, oh, and the time, no, you can't And either. the time zones keep changing and, and they never keep up. The same with the BBC World because Daylight Saving and they never keep up with it. So yeah. it's like, you go, hang on, that's not what's on this hour. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. It's like National Geographic. They're advertising a thing quite regularly. China revealed Wednesdays at 11.30. No, it's not. Should be there, shouldn't Should it? Be. Should be. I rung Sky five times this week, not a single reply. Oh, we'll phone you back. We'll phone you back. Nothing. Nothing, great. They go, There's oh, no respect. I'm going out to 10 Panorama Road <laughs> and I'm going to stomp in this week. I am. I might take my recording device. Um, Anika Moore and Winston. Yeah, so uh, I've been, as I told, I've bored you about before. I've been working on the show with Anika, which is um, basically her interviewing uh, New Zealanders in her inimitable style. Uh, and this time we, we thought, well, where's a good bait catcher for a whole bunch of people? So the best bait catcher in New Zealand for talent, for people who can talk and are worth asking questions of, is, of course, Parliament. So we went to the great bait patch. Do people still use bait catchers? I used to love them as a kid, you know. You get sprats. You dangle them off the wharf and you, they, they'd go in and they couldn't come out. It's a, yeah, it's a marvellous piece marvelous of technology. Yeah. Space I haven't seen one for years. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we went there and, of course, Winston's going to be the Prime Minister any day now. So Oh, Christ, yes. that's right, isn't <laughs> that's it? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. oh. Trump was kind of softening us up for this blow. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, this is uh, Anika Moore talking to Winston Peters. Have you made up with Gareth Morgan after he called you an Uncle Tom, or has he did to you like the way he wants the cats to be? Look, I'm very sorry for Gareth, the way he behaves. He's got an ego problem, see? He's got yes. an ego problem? Gareth's biggest problem is, what's he going to do for a face when the monkey asks for his bum back? <laughs> That's a serious question, eh? No, it was a good question, too. Got any whiskey? Nothing. You, do you drink whiskey? Uh, now and again, yes. The same. True or false section now? No waffling like a politician or faffing like a lawyer or dissembling like Winston Peters and sit up straight, please? This is as straight as this chair gets. Wellington is riddled with Russian spies. True or false? False. You'll be the boss of everyone when Jacinda takes maternity leave and will use the opportunity to upgrade the gold card to a platinum card. False. Shane Jones is shaping up well as your successor and his corporate Tanifa line was a good zinger. Well, the fact is that that's a True or false. That's True oh, or false. OK. Uh, sort of foo. It's probably the best way to smiling that night. <laughs> Bunch of your supporters are unhappy that you handed the country over to lefty Labour, losers and Green Party woolly wifters. True. <laughs> okay. You're more fun to hang out with than most of the Greens, though they probably have better weed. Um, that's uh, true, yes. Most Kiwis love you, but also think you're a little dodgy. A bit of a slippery bugger. That's because people have, been out, have gone out for a long time to, uh, uh, in, a camp false. in a campaign. True or false? It is false. Can I please have a hug? 
my mother told me uh, she warned me about that when I was a young guy. Do you want to give me a hug? And when I was a young teenager, yes. she warned me about that. You stand up first so I don't feel like a loser. <laughs> yeah. Nice. He sounds like he's capable of being in charge, eh? Yeah, well, I, I, I have no idea, really. He's done this before, hasn't he? And, and he's done. He has. I think so. Didn't he I love uh, trying to get a straight answer out of him is, is lovely, though, but I love that he came up with foo mm. to get between the true or false problem. The thing is, you've got such an amount of time that you have to hold it in. That's the beauty of this competition, that things can happen during it. There were wet ones at BFM while people were trying to get the end note. Was it always the, was it always the same song? It always had yeah. to be the same song. And, it was and someone the down down the office. <coughs> Paul used to work there. There were offices down at the end. There were, Did you start long you corridor? Someone would go ba ra 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 in accounts, right. and everyone would run down to see if it could be done. Right. Okay. So this is done in a cappella style. Yeah. In the you in, have to in just the, in the, the farter. Yeah. Has to da da do that and right. leave the last note so you know, for the anus. You've got a fart brewing. You've got a fart brewing. We and know so what that go, feels okay, like. And you go da 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 da. da. Yeah, yeah. Because if it's you get the note, you've got everything. All right. We'll take a short break, <laughs> and when we return, oh, Don McGlashan later on this evening. It's going to be fun uh, between ten and eleven. Media stick with Paul Cassidy. Don't go anywhere. The Weekend. Variety. Wireless. It doesn't really annoy me that much when people on the fly say nuclear instead of nuclear. Nuclear. <coughs> nuclear. Like George Bush did, the younger. Um, and a lot of people just go nuclear. Uh, but if you're a paid, highly paid, scripted voiceover artist, you'd think, wouldn't you? Still at odds with South Korea and the United States. North Korea is now a nuclear state. That's a big flash documentary from the History Channel this week. A nuclear, nuclear state. Anyway, up your game. Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton, the famous, the most famous, well not the most famous, he's the second most famous silent movie star really, after Mr Chaplin. Uh, Buster Keaton, there's a film coming up in the film festival. It's one of the things where they, they wheel in the APO into the Civic. I think it might even be on the first weekend or maybe it's beginning of August. Anyway, it's in the Auckland Film Festival, New Zealand Film Festival. Uh, and it, it, it'll it be, they're always those great, those shows. I think it's The General is the film they're showing. Um, but anyway, I was just looking online at, the, at one of my favourite uh, Twitter accounts that I follow. It's actually a YouTube... Um, page that these guys have a youtube channel it's called eyes on cinema and they just have great stuff that they pop up from time to time and this is one of them this is actually buster keaton being interviewed and i realized when i saw this little clip i'd never heard his voice before but this is him describing how he got his name mr keaton how did you come to get the name buster well i was born with a a tent show on a one-night stand in kansas my mother joined the show when I was two weeks old, and it was called the Keaton Houdini Medicine Show Company. Now, that's Harry Houdini, the handcuff king. He was the doctor and, and trickster of the outfit. My old man was the entertainer and comic. And when I was six months old, we're in some little town, small hotel, and I fell down a full flight of stairs at the bottom, to the bottom. They come running up. I sat up and just shook, shook my head and shook it off and didn't cry. 
So they knew I wasn't hurt. And Houdini says, that was sure a buster. Meaning a fall. Because that's the only time it was used. It meant a Bronco buster or a fall. It was never used as a name. My father said, well, that would be a good name for him. It don't sound bad. So that's the way I got it. Yeah, I didn't this his voice either. Good voice. The general, I've seen it. It's a, it's an awesome thing, actually. You get into a space where you realise, oh, right, this is how movies, how good they could be. It's easy to, yeah, you know, dis- dismiss that. But also just the the scale and spectacle of the stunts that he pulls mm. off. Yeah, something else. Just something else. All right, uh, Frankie Boyle, uh, a favourite, I think oh, yes. we can say of yours. Paul? Yeah, yeah, and his his um his TV show is some nice person's been putting it up on YouTube. Um, God, I keep forgetting the name of it, but you, you can remind me. I, I keep thinking it's the end of the world, but it's not. It's it's Armageddon. New World Order. New World Order. That's right. But it's it has it has a Armageddon-y vibe. It's everything. He he has these little statements throughout it, which is um, the world is turning to shit because, and then they'll discuss the reason. Um, it it has a bleak Glaswegian outlook on life. <laughs> marvelous. This is marvelous. Uh, in this particular piece, he uh, talks. Uh, he plays a clip from. One of your favourite people, Noam Chomsky. I know you're a very big fan of Mr. Chomsky. Most boring man <laughs> on the planet. Him and Kissinger could put the world to sleep. They do have those voices, don't they? Yeah, the world military industrial complex. Shut up. Anyway, this is uh, this is good for a number of reasons, but it's just it's mostly funny. But also, I, I think what Chomsky's saying. I mean, it's kind of obvious anyway. It's you know, it's everything he says is obvious. Well, but yeah, don't get me started. But, but he does it in a way that makes it sound kind of a bit more foreboding. Here's an enlightening interview with political theorist Noam Chomsky as he examines Trump's motivations and the terrifying effects they may be having. Trump's role is to ensure that the media and our public attention are always concentrated on him. So every time you turn on a television set, Trump. Open the front page of the newspaper, Trump. And in order to maintain, he's a con man, basically, a showman. And in order to maintain uh, public attention, you have to do something crazy. So every day there's one insane thing after another. And while this show is going on in public, the, uh, well, in the background, uh, the wrecking crew is working. What they're doing is systematically dismantling every aspect of government that works for the benefit of the population. See, that's the scariest clip so far, because that's describing exactly what is happening in front of our eyes right now. But this is the irony of talking about, oh, look, Trump wants all of our attention, mm. when every week we it. talk about Trump. We are still part mm. of that thing. But what is Chomsky trying to distract us from? <laughs> <laughs> When I was a teacher, you know, I'd see potential because people would see a kid and go, oh, he's a troublemaker, he's a bad kid. And I'd think, well, if I get him a box of matches, we've all got a fortnight off. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what Trump is, you know, for them. He's this huge distraction. I think we're all slightly distracted by the thought of you as a teacher. Yeah. (laughs) I'll see your Frankie Boyle and raise you with Stephen Fry. It's the same thing, basically, though, isn't it? Um, About... Trump and the attention stuff. You've yeah. talked a lot about Trump. How do you see America today? Oh, this is just from last week in Canada. He's doing a stint in Canada at the moment, filming something. And it's terribly unfortunate, but I do believe in the wheel of fortune. I do things. I think things turn. Um, 
It wasn't that long ago when it was Bill Clinton uh, in America and Tony Blair in Britain. And they were at the top of the wheel of fortune, the Rota Fortuna, as the Romans called it. Um, and now they're right at the bottom. And in ten years' time, it would be all. I mean, it sounds as if I'm not caring about the misery and the absurdity, the vulgarity, the gangster... Uh, the gangster criminality and corruption of the Trump regime and all of that is unquestionable. We all know it's true and uh, people who don't are just being blind and foolish. But it's also true that he is achieving what he set out to achieve and that the American economy is probably going to prosper yeah. enough for him to win the next election, whether we like to hear it or not. Isn't it your view that you think that the media, for example, and many others are giving him exactly what he needs yes, to feed are. it? Of course they are. I remember saying to someone, do you know, they used to say of Hitler that he was the most photographed man in history and I would say Trump is the most talked about man in history every single uh, restaurant table every single bar room every single coffee shop conversation you could just hear the word Trump 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 <laughs> and I said he's like he's the Trumpolo he's like a Dr. Seuss character the more you say his name the bigger he gets all you have to do to defeat him is never mention his name. Just Bad don't talk about it. Of course, because he makes money, because he's clickbait, because you see Trump says and you immediately press the click because you want to know what Trump said. Um, and that's our fault, not his. And particularly the fault of, if I count myself as vaguely leftish, which I do, I don't see the rise of Trump or the rise of Brexit in Britain, I don't see them as triumph as the right, I see them as a failure of the left. And that's part one of the reasons I think political correctness uh, has some part to play in that. All right. Stephen Fry. Lovely, eh? He's got a way oh, with words, hasn't he? I think he has. Um, I did mention it. No, I, I don't discuss this Are you gonna do a live fart, fart competition. Now? I haven't got one on the oh, way. The, the thing is, I did discuss this with Don. Pull my finger. I think I've got one. Do you want to get to the oh, end? No, it's not. Oh, I'm, I'm sieving it out through my underpants now as we speak. This could be an ongoing competition. Who's going to be second? But second's never the same as first, and it, was, it happened. Um, I don't discuss this with Don tonight. I thought people might be wondering if I do the full fart talk between 10 and 11 with Don. Um, no, because I've done it before, and I didn't want to raise it again. We talk about as songbook from the very first song he wrote. Okay. All right, just telling people in case they get the wrong idea. MasterChef Australia is starting on New Zealand television uh, this when? week. <coughs> this week? Yeah. The best fun is finding nicknames. I really went with Beijing Weightlifter last year to win the whole thing. Stupid ice cream Fabio. Oh, God. What an annoying person he was. Uh, th there was Nero, the, the fat cook. Oh, Last year was this weird, weird thing with ice cream. And I'm looking forward to seeing if they just please give it up. Because it was just, it was bizarre. I've put a little compilation together of basically last year's MasterChef. The blue cheese ice cream. Coconut ice cream. Ice cream. Moked ice cream. The ice cream. A tasty ice cream. Rum vanilla ice cream. Ice cream. Ice cream. Lavender ice cream. Ice cream. Miso ice cream. What? Ice creams. So today I'm making this ice cream. Sheep smoke yogurt ice cream. Coriander ice cream. The judges love my ice cream this morning. Licorice ice cream. Coriander ice cream the other day. The ice cream. I'm going to go ice cream crazy and I'll be putting up another ice cream today. Some of my favourite desserts are all about the ice cream. Cream. The lemongrass ice cream. The fennel ice cream. You've become the ice cream king. Ice cream. Crumbed ice cream. Ice cream. Ice cream. Cannoli bowl ice cream. Ice cream and potato. Wasabi ice cream. And ice cream. Love the ice cream. Ice cream and ice cream. Here we are. 
ice cream. Carry a tootsie frutzy and ice ice cream. A nice tootsie frutzy ice cream. It was too much. They had to have you some love sort of show, deal. I love it's, 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 I hate watch it and I love watch yeah, it at the same time. And the best fun is finding nicknames early. Nappy Neck is one of the judges. Oh yeah. And scowling Chihuahua, although it doesn't really scan very well. What a, so it's Nappy Neck. Who's who's some total toad? Nappy Neck's the guy with a nappy around his neck. Who's Toad of Toad Hall? Is that Nappy Neck? Yeah. I call him Toad of Toad Hall. Do you? Or yeah. Rupert the Cook. <coughs> He's got a bit of a rip at the beer vibe. He has, hasn't he? Uh, last week we were talking about uh, Ma'a Nonu's long-standing uh, reason for doing absolutely anything at all was because of family reasons. And uh, we had a very quick learner in Mike Hessen who's uh, announced his retirement. Mike Hessen insists he hasn't left his team in the lurch after resigning today, less than a year out from the Cricket World Cup. Hessen says he wants to spend more time with his family. So he's obviously spent the last six years so he could spend less time with them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that you done, Paul? Anything yep. else you want to say? You've got a minute. No, I don't think I have. I don't, do I have anything left? I don't think I do. I okay. Think, I think, um, uh, yes, I think that's me, actually, Graham. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me, mate. No, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks uh, doing a reenactment of the crew murders on their anniversary on June the 17th. Hopefully it's a gloomy day. Uh, we'll leave you with our New Zealand accent of the week. Uh, didn't get a proper airing last, so here it is. A proper airing, and thank you very much to the Facebook correspondent who pointed us towards Tony of Craggy Range. What a total utter waste of time. The whole colour of the way they did this was deceitful, and I don't think that the Craggy Winery people truly understand this is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Is that possible? Oh, my God. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Richard Johnson has a hold of a man who apparently has fired the shot. Get the gun. Get the gun. Get the gun. Stay away from the gun. His hand is frozen. Take a hold of his thumb and break it if you have to. Get his thumb. All right. That's it, Raper. Get it. Get the gun, Raper. Hold him. Hold him. We don't want another Oswald. It's still kind of punishing hearing it, that audio from 50 years ago this week, June 6th or June 7th, if you want to be fussy, New Zealand time. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. The assassination of his brother as president uh, gets far much more media coverage, and, and it is the preferred horror. But if you have a look at Bobby Kennedy, who he was and what he was trying to do, I rate him as a greater loss. That's just me. I don't want this to be some sort of hagiography on Bobby Kennedy. Hagiography, a, a big fat word for meaning sucking up, masquerading as a biography. Hopefully to put it straight, or at least for her opinion on the man, and all the what-ifs. Associate Professor of History, United States, Modern History Specialist Subject, Jennifer Frost, thank you very much for coming and giving us your thoughts on Bobby Kennedy. 
Yeah, thanks for inviting me on the 50th anniversary of his assassination. And of course, 2018 is the 50th anniversary of the whole entire year of 1968, which is just worldwide a cataclysmic year in terms of social movement, social change, conflict that we see uh, ever, everywhere, but certainly in the United States. And Kennedy's assassination in June followed only two months after Martin Luther King's assassination in April. And I I think the two together we can argue is absolutely devastating for that moment. 68 is of a different register and it's because we'll have gone through the 1960s, all the movements of the 60s, the Vietnam War of course was still raging and to have two voices of hope, of nonviolence, brought down by violence within the scope of two months was absolutely staggering, I think, for Americans and I think for people uh, around the world. Bobby Kennedy didn't throw his hat in the ring for that election immediately, did he? Kind of a latecomer to the 68 campaign. And people say, look, he was never going to win. But he was on a big up at that time. This is the beginning of the what-ifs. Where was he at in 68 when Suhan shot him? Of course, historians never like counterfactuals, but I would be one to say as a citizen <laughs> that, yeah, I think he would have won. The country was still a majority Democrat, uh, so I think the Democratic Party, it was their election to lose. Um, and the issue that was at stake for the Democratic Party was the Vietnam War. And he was certainly a compelling speaker. He was handsome. I think that he would have been someone who could have unified the Democratic Party. He's an unlikely character to be a politician, given what we expect, or what is the default setting for politicians these days? Do you enjoy the game of politics itself? Do you enjoy the process of politics? Uh, well, I think if it's used to gain an objective, it makes some sense, but just for politics, for politics' sake, or just for the game of politics, I don't enjoy that. Do you feel that you, that a person, or you yourself, or a person changes politically? Do you feel that you've been consistent throughout your political career? I hope not. The world is far different now than it was, for instance, 10 years ago. And uh, the idea that uh, you had the same views uh, in 1950 or 1960 as you have now, uh, I would show, I would think, would demonstrate that really haven't, one doesn't grow. And uh, I think that uh, as the problems change, difficulties facing one's own country and as I say mankind all over the globe one has to adjust to them and uh, I would hope that I did that would you grade yourself as a liberal would you describe I don't know liberal? those terms confuse me so. oh and these are things I admire he seemed afraid of his own shadow in many ways he wasn't this certain blustering I've got all the answers kind of person he's a cat who would quote a classical Greek poet to ordinary folk on the announcement of Martin Luther King's death. We have to make an effort to understand, to get beyond or go beyond these rather difficult times. My favorite poem, my, my favorite poet was Aeschylus. He once wrote, even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own de despair against our will comes wisdom
That wouldn't even pass muster today. He'd be held down, wouldn't he, as some weirdo, loony, uppy, booky guy. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. He was bookish. He was intellectual. He was somebody who read poetry, wrote poetry. I agree. Even in that recording you just said, he doesn't like the rough and tumble of politics. He was always an advisor, right? He was the campaign manager, you know, for his brother. He wasn't the candidate. That said, over time, he does start to feel more comfortable in the spotlight. He is attorney general during his brother's administration, and then in 1964, he runs for Senate from New York, wins that election, and is in Senate uh, over those years, and he becomes a place where people go to to talk about major issues about poverty. You know, he becomes somebody to go to on civil rights. So I think he grows into that. And even in that recording you just had there, he does transform. He is somebody who, in a heartfelt way, changed his views about things and changed his understanding of his role Mm. uh, in society. The African-American population, they embraced, seemed to embrace him as well. Yes, again, over time. So you wouldn't say in the early 60s he was a great friend of the civil rights movement. So when he's attorney general, the civil rights movement is asking for help down in the South to support protests or support demonstrators, support the struggle for voting rights and and against segregation. And he and John are not uh, great on those issues. It takes a while for them to come around. As Nina Simone said, too slow. That's right. Um, And, you know, you can certainly fault him for that. But by 68, he is an advocate for civil rights and, you know, make the point about his speech in Indianapolis after Martin Luther King's assassinated. He goes out into the streets and pleads for nonviolence. The rest of the, you know, urban uh, neighborhoods in the United States are going up in flames because of African-Americans rioting upon the assassination of Martin Luther King by a white man uh, in the South. And Indianapolis doesn't have a riot. It's the exception, isn't it's it? It's the exception. And they, they listen to him. And he makes the case again and again. The way we're going to get change is nonviolence and the ballot box. And what an important message at that point in time in 1968. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness. But is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. That was a speech that saved lives. Yes, absolutely. Saved lives and I think demonstrated the power of human connection and nonviolence. One of the things that he was working for in the 60s was actually the youth vote. He was supportive of giving the right to vote to 18, 19, and 20-year-olds because still at that point in time the voting age was 21. Mm -hmm. And he argued again and again, if young people had access to the ballot box, would they then be feeling they are full participants in the society and that would would give them an avenue for their criticisms and problems and complaints about the society. There is the image that he's, you know, liberal and left-ish, but he wasn't a wet, soft, namby-pamby one. Tough as nails underneath, and he'd proven that as Attorney General, not only with the Cuban Missile Crisis, where it was Bobby who faced down 
as much as anybody, Khrushchev, standing up to the mafia, tough stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think that idea that when he knew what he believed in, he was willing to go to the wall for that. Um, a very important uh, uh, issue that he took on in the late 60s was the uh, Chicano uh, Farm Workers Union movement. He is the one who goes to Cesar Chavez, and Cesar Chavez ends his hunger strike because of Bobby Kennedy coming and pledging to... That was uh, labor conditions in California. That's right. Labor issues, class issues, um, and about really, you know, race issues in terms of Mexican uh, Americans, primarily also Filipino Americans and immigrants. Um, And so that was also a very, you could argue, gutsy move at a point in time when kind of awareness of farm workers issues, awareness even of Chicanos and Mexican Americans was something that was not national at that point in time. I don't know if it's significant. He'd taken a bullet to the head at the time. But his last words, this is verified. Is everyone else okay? Yeah. yeah. What that says about the man. Not as a historian now, because you probably wouldn't want to say it as a historian, but as a civilian, the what-ifs. What if he'd won in 68? We Think of the nastiness of the Nixon campaign as it ended up. Yeah. Maybe not. Wouldn't have happened. I do believe that uh, the Democrats would have won with an anti-Vietnam War candidate. I, I do think he would have won. You know, then the question is, how quickly does he get the U.S. out of Vietnam? What's the, you know, peace process there? But certainly we would have avoided things like Watergate. And I think it would have changed the whole story about the rise of the right wing in the United States. Nixon's so fundamental to the rise of conservatism uh, that gets us to Reagan. And a big thing with that, they're carrying along the fundamentalist religious Right. From there to Reagan, boy, that's a big lobby. That is big. And I think he's somebody who could have captured a certain part of the United States that is faith-based, but it would have been uh, quite different. So I, yeah, as, as a citizen. Now, the one thing we can criticize him for is in this Me Too movement um, and Me Too moment is thinking about issues around um, women. You know, certainly we know some of the backstory with him and his brother and uh, Marilyn Monroe um, is a controversial that RFK was in, involved with. Um, again, those are earlier in, in his career, so, you know, he is somebody who does change mm. um, over time. And, and that depends one's view on adultery. Yes, that's right, that's I mean, right. And treatment is of, that a moral Treatment of women, yeah, 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 exactly. But I think over time, you know, we he's a different person in 1968 than he was in 1962. Okay. Flip-flopping. Isn't it funny? It, today, it's poisonous in politics. And yet he, and I think rightly said, it's a virtue. Do you feel that you've been consistent throughout your political career? I hope not. That's right. And he, it's about growth. It's about change. Um, you know, history is about change over time. Things don't stay the same. Um, and you need to adapt and adjust to that. And he was willing to be open uh, to new ideas about how to solve new problems. Mm. Well, we'll never know. But despite never being able to know... I think it's fair to say it was a hell of a loss, wasn't it, for the yes. United States? Yes, I, I agree. I was at the JFK library in April on the anniversary of King's death. Uh, and um, I have to say the whole day I felt that I was really mourning both of their lives lost and what what would have been. Because I think we wouldn't be sitting here today in, with Trump in the White House if he had lived. Jennifer Frost, Associate Professor, History at Auckland University. Thanks so much for coming on 
on this week's anniversary of quite a momentous thing in American politics. Thanks for having me. My brother need not be idealized or enlarged in death beyond what he was in life. Be remembered simply as a good and decent man who saw wrong and tried to right it, saw suffering and tried to heal it, saw war and tried to stop it. Those of us who loved him and who take him to his rest today pray that what he was to us and what he wished for others will someday come to pass for all the world. As he said many times in many parts of this nation, those he touched and who sought to touch him. Some men see things as they are and say why. I dream things that never were and say why not. Yeah, Robert Kennedy, 50 years ago on June 6th American time. There's one other thing you might want to do. Uh, have a Just Google Robert Kennedy gravestone. You know, there's really not much there. A little white cross and a little block that says Robert Kennedy. Dot. It's nine o'clock.